And now for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose. And welcome to episode number 287 of This Old Marketing, recorded on Thursday, September 2nd, 2021. And with me, as always, my good friend, my colleague, and a guy who would have never cut Cam Newton, Mr. Joe Polizzi. Never. Never, never. ever. I don't care why he didn't show up or what, what, he, what rules he didn't understand. You don't cut Cam Newton. You just don't. I don't care if you're Bill Belichick. Oh, you, you yeah, I, I, I disagree. <laughs> you think that he his skills were deteriorating, or you just his not skills working? have been deteriorating yeah, for some time, and and you know, I mean, if you read all of, I mean, if you believe, I don't know if you believe or not, um, and apologies, folks, we're already into NFL, so. Um, you know, if you if you read what the coaches are saying and what everybody's saying, it's basically Mac Jones outplayed him and is now the starting quarterback. And he's a rookie, for those of you who don't know. And so he's going to be the new quarterback of the Patriots. And Cam Newton is currently probably not for very long out of a job. Um, he'll be a good but, he'll be um, a good backup somewhere. Well, that's the question, right? Because of course, all the bloggers and the media are all like. You know, the one team that could really use a backup quarterback right about now are the Dallas Cowboys. And, uh, you know, because our backup situation is, you know, two guys who basically came off the assembly line floor and, you know, <laughs> don't, you know, they're, they're, they're young, inexperienced, and quite frankly, well, not that, that great. would be perfect for Dak because <laughs> what you do is if it's a third and one and you need a, you need a half a yard, you don't want to put Zeke through the line. You just send in Cam. Cam will get you a half yard, and you don't want and yeah, you don't want Dak to break his leg again. So, if, if do correct, it all of that is absolutely right. Except, I just don't know that they need the circus in town, right? Which is what Cam brings. He brings, you know, all of. Do that, you know what franchise you root for? Your franchise is the circus. What does it matter? It, Jerry Jones always has has been about the circus. That is, but that's. That that hasn't been true the last five to seven. I mean, it's years. not as much. You're right. It's not as much of a circus as it used to be. But he always likes being in the limelight. Jerry Jones, that is. Oh yeah, of course. And so why wouldn't he bring in Cam? Is not he's not making that much money. You guys. Oh no, it's a cheap thing. Yeah. It's a cheap thing. This is why he's not going to be out of a job for long because he. You can bring him on for the veteran minimum, which is like a million bucks or something, and it's like it's you know it's it's totally an inexpensive risk. I you know I look as a fan, uh, as a I should say this as a football fan, I think it's the right move to for either my team or some other team to bring him on. As a as a fan of the Cowboys, I get really concerned about the. You know, there was already enough of the, you know, from the Hard Knocks show this, this, you know, this year. Everybody's going, oh God, that's the curse, right? You know, you you get on the Hard Knocks show and then you're not going to make anything. So who knows? Yeah, it didn't do well for the Browns. So no, 
No, it hasn't done well for anybody. It doesn't. It, 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 it's 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 known as to be a, a curse if your if your team is featured, and unfortunately, as we've talked about on the show before, that you know the teams don't have a choice, right? It's you you get assigned with this by the NFL. Well, I'm happy. Fo- I know you're happy. Football season starting. We were talking before the show. I've got my, so happy. my fantasy draft is tonight. Yep. Very excited. I'm picking second for a change out of a 12 team league. So I'm. Very, very. Uh, I, I feel. Like, I think this is my year. I, I finished second yeah, I, last I, year. <laughs> oh well, good. I've All done. Right. I've done fairly well. I'm. I'm either. I'm. I'm like Ricky Bobby. I'm first or last. It, it's. It's <laughs> one or the other. It's. I. I'll know right away whether if or not, you're not I have first. You're last. Because <laughs> it's not the first couple picks. It's generally who you pick from rounds like four to seven that make it a oh, break. Of course. You get that, yeah, it's the you get that breakout running back or that receiver that you know nobody expected to do well or you pick somebody up on the waiver wire and you get your act together. So I'm, I'm That's right. very, That's yes, right. very excited. It's the complement of your players, not the individual. It's a team sport. It's a... <laughs> Pull out, pull out all my Ted Lasso. You're gonna have to have a big believe sign on on the on the top of your. Uh, have office. you been watching Ted Lasso recently? I love yeah, that I'm, show. I'm always, so we watch very, it every Friday much. as soon as it comes out. I usually get up early to watch oh, it. Oh my gosh, it's ridiculous. That show is so good, and I fundamentally disagree with anybody who says that season two isn't as good as season one. I think season two is actually. Maybe even better. I would agree with that. Season one, I absolutely would agree because, especially now with the turn, the turn, I don't know if you've seen the you've seen yes, the last, I saw episode, the last episode. episode. Yeah, yeah. So there's there's a turn that takes place that I actually predicted. You could see it coming um, when he. Well, I don't. We don't want to give away. Yeah, things, yeah But right. you could see yeah. that one coming. You knew that was going to happen because they. Yes, they, they've they been. Yeah, they've that. been. They, yeah, exactly. But exactly. But good, no, great show. I love it how they're building out the secondary characters, and that's what your year. That's what your second year is all about. The first year was all about Ted, for the most part. Yep. And now, yep. Every episode sort of builds out one of the secondary characters. You could have, you could have four spinoffs. Oh, to this, yes. And well, everybody's already said that uh, uh, Roy Kent and Keely. Well, need Roy their own Kent. Series, right? uh, my my wife would drop me in a hot second. For Roy Kent, so would mine. So would mine. And uh, yep. I just, I just can't cuss that much. I just, I just can't do it. But and 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 and, and, and make it, it and cool be cool like, like he, he is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, right. yeah. he says it, it's like butter. It's smooth. It's like it's supposed yeah. to be there. It makes everything that he does yeah. a little bit better. When I do it, it's just awkward yep. and shameful. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel like my mom is looking over my shoulder, like you shouldn't use those types of words, Joey. But yeah, yeah. I, I'm all in on the Roy Kent thing, so good, good stuff. So, uh, yeah. Anything else we should cover before we get to the the newsy news? No, I think we can get. I think we can jump right in. I, of course, right I, in. We can talk about ten more minutes of football, and I'm sure people yeah, would love. That. I'm sure people hitting the fast forward button. You know that that 15 seconds forward every time. Yeah, I get it. I get it. No, let's jump let's into the news because there's uh, there's a lot of it that we could actually talk about this week. Um, and uh, and do a lot of quick takes on here, but let's just jump in because our first one is ah, breaking is not the right word for it per se, but it is actually uh, something that looks like it's going to happen. Uh, this story comes to us courtesy of Media Post, uh, and the headline uh, from their e marketing daily is Mailchimp could be sold to Intuit 
uh, for more than 10 billion, that's billion with a B, dollars, uh, says a report. The article, which is not terribly long because there's not a lot of substance there to talk about just yet, but basically opens up by saying Intuit is in talks to buy MailChimp for more than $10 billion, according to a report in Bloomberg on Wednesday morning. No final decision has been made, although, let's be honest, folks, if they're if it's making in the reporters, it's pretty close to final. Um, no final decision has been made, and there are other potential buyers interested, Bloomberg adds, quoting anonymous sources. That's MailChimp's PR. Yeah, they did a really good job with that. There. Hold yep, now for an extra B. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. The deal would be into its largest and would strengthen its SMB offerings, but it might be a good fit for the firm that offers TurboTax and QuickBooks software. Um, anything that works, I would just say. Um, any any software that works would be good for Intuit. Oh, you But dead. that's another rant. Oh. That's, that's another story. That's another story. Massimo Aragoni, the CEO of B, predicted last month to Media Post that Intuit could be a player. Asked about potential buyers, he asked, he answered, rather, any large company that has a strong focus on small businesses, take a company like Intuit that serves mostly small businesses. That is a very insightful quote. Um, With a market cap of $148 billion, uh, they could certainly afford it and would be adding a whole new marketing layer to their offering. And I agree with that. I think that's a... I think that's an accurate uh, statement that Intuit needs to start expanding into other areas other than finance. And marketing is certainly a for small businesses that could be really good to help them start to compete with companies like uh, Infusionsoft and or HubSpot and or other other companies that are beginning to expand into other areas of the small business office suite. What say you, Mr. Polizzi? Well, first of all, I it's it's almost now that you see it it's almost a no-brainer for intuit because every one of their uh turbotax quickbooks customers you know could 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 use mailchimp and every mailchimp customer can use <laughs> i am a customer both of ways, both yeah. i will be i'm i am a i i i use quickbooks online for the business and i use mailchimp as the email software for our newsletter yeah i think that you do let's say you do an analysis and say okay how many of our quickbooks customers you know have uh email newsletters and use uh whatever they use and uh, probably a small percentage of them use mailchimp and then they use a bunch of other stuff and then a bunch of them are going to launch email newsletters so just from that, and I, and I know the article talks about MailChimp getting into a lot of different areas and they have a lot of different products, but I think the bigger issue here is what we are going to see. I think you're going to see, I don't know, I mean, because you look at this deal and you're like, well, this is kind of interesting. It's kind of different. You've got a financial organization buying a marketing services company. This is going to happen in droves, I believe, over the next couple of years because Every, marketing services have never been able to be more integrated with financial services than we're seeing right now. And I mean, everything you talk, I, I read like three articles this morning talking about how uh, more companies are trying to figure out how, how your audiences can make money and profit and how uh, content creators are trying to generate more revenue in new ways and they need no more payment options to do that. It's it's going to be off the hook from that standpoint. So it's it's kind of gold rush days for content and financial services. And this is 
you know, on the surface, you say, oh, that makes sense. You know, there's synergy both ways, blah, 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 whatever the press release says. But I think that it's, it tells something bigger because content creation, distribution, and financial services go hand in hand from here on out, I think. Oh, well, I, I couldn't agree more. And, 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 and what I think the, you know, the reason this story fascinated me and why I wanted to talk about it on the show so much is because the surface level here is to look at it and say, oh, yeah, this makes sense for the, you know, your local dry cleaners or the local restaurant or your local shops and small businesses, the local accounting firm, the local dentistry practice, you know, basically those that are using QuickBooks online for their finance and those that are probably emailing using MailChimp and those sorts of things. What I think this, the larger trend, just to your point, speaks to, and we'll talk a little bit more about, you know, creative, you know, entrepreneurs and content creator economy and all that sort of thing that we, that, that are happening now. This to me spells what we've started to see companies do, which is to build a full stack suite of solutions for solopreneurs, right? So for small, real micro businesses, small businesses, right? Not, you know, HubSpot was the king of this in the early days with building in inbound marketing and email marketing and, you know, to some extent, um, you know, things like landing pages and blogging and, and, and those, you know, basically a full, and then decided and has subsequently decided, although it's been a little bit since I've gotten a briefing, that they wanted to move up the food chain, right? So they started making their tools more complex and 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 as as, as such, maybe arguably more complicated um, to address the bigger company, the enterprise side of the market and go compete with folks like Salesforce and some of those. And for some small businesses, they just don't need any of that. They just don't, they don't, they don't need that. They just need very simple workable tools to build their, you know, cause if you go look at what MailChimp has today, you know, we think of MailChimp as email marketing, right? But they have a lot of other things. They've got ads, they've got websites, they've got, um, basically what is if not a crm system very very close to a crm system with the way that you can do segmentation and manage your audience and and do those kinds of things it would not be very hard to put those things together with quickbooks online and and other things and basically give solopreneurs like me like others that are content creators a full stack you know office suite business office suite to give you CRM, email, you know, web hosting, websites, you know, e-commerce, um, and you know, the ability to take credit cards and do physical payments and do it, you know, I mean, the whole thing, right? And that to me is a, you know, basically enabling the digital economy for solopreneurs is a, that's a huge untapped market. We right did now. the <clears throat> when we did the unconventionals, the content entrepreneur research from the Tilt, and looked at looked through those, the average. Uh, content creator that's starting their business is spending about ten thousand dollars in software, in stuff. Well, if you yeah. look at Signal Fire's stats, where they say there's you know fifty million content creators out there, and you multiply that times ten thousand, that's a lot of money. That's and, and it's almost too big. It's like, oh, is that a real number? But that's to your point. That's what. These, I mean, you're not even talking about small businesses here. You're you're just talking about co- people that are trying to create businesses through content creation. They need a yeah. lot of the they and make need it the easy. E- and make it easy. They need right? the email. They need the financial tools. They need the marketing automation stuff. Light. 
version. And there's, there's right. a company, I don't know if you've seen it, called Stir, uh, which is you know one of those you know going to be a unicorn type companies that are they're trying to handle all the back office stuff for content creators. And yeah, so I've, I've got in the I haven't gotten in there, but I got in the beta version trying to figure out if that's, this is a thing. But this is a huge, huge area. Um, there was an article that Claire McDermott shared. I think I put it on the, the Discord talking about the huge boom in the last year of just entrep- new entrepreneurs. They didn't talk about content creators, just entrepreneurs. We've never seen. This is like the golden age of entrepreneurs. And my take was the article doesn't say it, but really what it should go as is it's never been easier to start a business and a lot of these businesses are trying to be content entrepreneurs they need but so the, they need these software yeah. solutions and it's really an untapped market from a, a one-stop shop solution because it's not and we, we use at the tilt like six or seven different software products right now that are totally desperate yeah it and here's the here's the fascinating thing to me because it gets right back to what you just said the one thing that intuit can offer and does offer that none of these other platforms are offering is financing, right? So all of this, so the way that the way that Intuit makes real money, like you know, yeah, QuickBooks Online and TurboTax, whatever, right? You know, the, the their software suite, whatever. The real money is in their finance, their loans, right? Small business loans, and it's a great if point. they use if yeah. they start if they start building an entire economy that uses Intuit for small business loans. And you know can set you not only set you up, but then set you up with a small business loan to help you start your own business. Well, now you're talking, right? Now you're talking a complete, you know, a, a complete ecosystem that um, that really starts to drive a lot of value for that company. I think it's a it's a you know it's a brilliant idea, right? I mean, we talked. I think it was a couple of shows ago about how you know, the, the margins in the, you know, in, in, you know, loan financing and credit cards and, and, you know, all those kinds of things. And boy, you start going, huh, what would be a great content marketing platform for me to start attracting solopreneurs in? Oh, I know the one where all these people are starting newsletters now in MailChimp. Let's just go buy, you know, 10,000 new small businesses and offer them financing. You know, in one fell swoop, and it, you know, because literally in QuickBooks Online now, it's a click of a button. You go click into finance, and it goes. Would you like to have a loan? Because we know exactly how much you make. We know exactly. Oh my gosh, you know, you're right. They have we, the data on it. Yeah, you're. They have all the data, right? So they know exactly how big your audience is, how big your you know your finances is, how much you how well you pay your bills, and then they in, integrate it right into QuickBooks Online, so you don't even get a question about whether you're going to pay it back or not. It just comes right out of your bank account. And you're no, you're ready to roll. Take it's, that. It just couldn't be. Well, easier. take that concept and say, okay, they just purchased Mailchimp, and theoretically, each one of these small businesses, they're, since they're sending out an email newsletter, have X amount of audience that they're sending to. Well, then, then yeah, into it, into it could do yeah. a deal with their with their customer and say, why don't you offer your audience these? I mean, it's like a big pyramid scheme. Yeah. It's brilliant. by the way i just checked just so you know intuit's not done here intuit as of 2019 had three billion dollars of cash on hand three bits of the b billion there you go this is yeah this is part that's three billion of cash and they don't need they don't need to spend nearly all of that to buy somebody like mailchimp no no 
because they can they can borrow that. Well, that's for sure. the thing from Cash themselves. Is, so, <laughs> they can. They just have to send out yeah. one tweet, and they'll have. It's like, oh, look at all these loans we got in today. Good, we're good. It's fantastic. Yeah, I just watched the um, uh, the David Geffen uh, documentary on uh, on uh, Netflix, good? which is fantastic, yeah. by the way. Yeah, oh, it's you're just the brilliant. documentary I mean, king. You just, I mean, you were. I've been really week. enjoying yeah. this summer. Yeah, this summer has been has been really uh, has been really full of documentaries. But this, I mean, David Geffen, you just forget how much how 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 impactful he has been to popular culture, music, movies, et cetera, over the last 50 years. Um, but the, the reason I bring it up is not for that, although it's great and you should go watch it, is uh, the fact that he, when he started uh, DreamWorks, he basically, the, 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 and this comes right from the documentary, you know, he starts it with Steven Spielberg and uh, Jeffrey Katzenberg, so hence the name you know, uh, DreamWorks SKG. And so he tells Spielberg and Katzenberg, he says, listen, the biggest mistake that a media company makes when it launches, a movie studio especially in this case, he says, is that we're underfunded. And he said, so we're gonna overfund this thing. So the first thing he does is he goes out and gets a billion dollars, right? Literally makes like four phone calls and gets a billion dollars to fund it. And Katzenberg and Spielberg are like, this is amazing. You just got a billion dollars for us to go finance movies. He goes, oh no, no, no. He goes, watch. And then over the next month, he doubles it to $2 billion. Basically, by going, look, we just got a billion dollars over here. You should probably fund us as oh, well. Man. So he got $2 billion in less than a month. And basically, that became the fund that DreamWorks started to finance movies off of. It's just like, it's amazing. It's just, it's just well, I love any business that, that can finance, you know, you don't have to spend your out-of-pocket dollars. You can just go to your partners oh, yeah. and say, with other, now you're, hey, play, yeah, you're idea. playing you with other people's money at that point. Uh, yeah. And with, with people, yeah. I mean, I, I know... I know it's not the case for a lot of people, but you know, you and I have talked over and over again the amount of money that's just oh, I've never I've never seen anything like this with the amount of money just being it's, thrown around. It's definitely the haves and have nots going going on and there's oh, it's, this huge separation. It's it's, it's crazy right now. Absolutely. Right. Well, speaking of that, it's a great segue to our next story, uh, which comes to us courtesy of the New York Times. Uh, sent over by you, Joe, and and the uh, headline here in this, well, let's just call it a PR-driven piece. Um, she's the investor guru for online creators. Lee Jin, 31, began backing creators years ago and has raised her own fund to invest in influencer-related startups. I know you know uh, this woman very well, uh, Joe, because you've been following her doings over the last couple of years. Uh, and it starts, the article starts uh, with Cody Ko, a YouTube star with 5.7 million subscribers, found himself in a pickle. Uh, two different startups wanted to give him stock, and he was concerned that they were potentially competitive deals. So Mr. Ko called someone he trusted for advice, Lee Jin. Ms. Jin, a venture capitalist, suggested that Mr. Ko be honest and upfront with the founders of both startups about the potential conflict of interest. He agreed and ended up pursuing just one of the deals. I'd never hesitate to reach out to her if I needed something. If there was such a thing as an it girl uh, in venture capital these days, Ms. Jin, 31, would fill the bill. She sits at the intersection of startup investing and the fast-growing ecosystem of online creators, both of which are red hot. And while she formed her own venture firm, Atelier Ventures, am I, I think pronouncing that's right. that right? Yeah. Atelier? 
Atelier Ventures just last year and has raised a relatively small $13 million for a fund. Ms. Jin was among the first investors in Silicon Valley to take influencers seriously and has written about and backed creators for years. And the article goes on to profile Ms. Jin and talk about her prowess at uh, sort of going through uh, University of Pittsburgh and then Harvard and then, of course, now a venture capital financier. Um, so what do you think about this? What's your take on uh, on this article and, and what, uh, what they're talking about? You know, it's so interesting here? when, so as, as I've, I haven't moved away from content marketing, but I've definitely moved into this whole creator economy thing, which I'm not a, I'm not a huge fan of the, that phrase that we talked about it on this show before. But um, as I started doing research into this area, which is all about not businesses creating content, but individual content creators building their own businesses, what we call content entrepreneurs, I started doing this research. This is the beginning of 2020 and Lee Jen's name is everywhere. Uh, you know, she she basically coined. I think she coined the term "passion economy." She wrote an article in Harvard Business Review about the whole thing. She's a prolific writer, and then to see this in the New York Times is not surprising. It's worth the read for anyone in content creation to read this New York Times article. But there's a couple points that I that that I'm I don't want to say I'm struggling with, but I think is sort of the the web two to web three version of where we're going right now. And there's this is at the end of the article, and it says uh, Ms. Jin said she has also become a believer in crypto networks because they are decentralized and aim to turn con- over control and ownership to the users. Now take crypto out of that, just in- insert content creation. And this right. is where I'm yep. struggling. I love to get your take with this, Robert, because here's here's where I think that we're going in terms of content creation. Where if you looked at, you know, web web 2.0 models, you had the ability to reach your audiences. Anybody could do it. You could build an audience. You could monetize that in multiple ways. In a lot of cases, these big platforms helped you it helped you do this like you know facebook and twitter in some ways they hurt you but generally what happened is either the platforms got rich or every once in a while you'd see a creator get rich now it seems this the whatever web 3 is or becomes this whole idea of decentralization it seems like the audience now can generate revenue or ownership by being involved in a community or being involved, being a part of the audience. And this is what this article talks about. I've read three articles this morning on Web 2 to Web 3 this morning, so I'm so far down the rabbit hole in this, Robert. That's where I think we're going, and this is where I need more education to figure out how is this going to happen. So I think anybody who will listen to this, this is, this is what I think that people are starting to expect as they're part of an audience group or a community they're asking now and they can actually get hey can i get equity can i get ownership what's in it for me as opposed to just i'm i'm passively engaging in this content or my job is to you know you're going to create the content i'm going to to read it um to engage in it from that perspective and you're going to profit and you know i get value in it from you're going to give me you know information to help make my life better in some way but I think it's more than that now. Do you do you feel that coming? Are you reading some of that? Are you talking your clients? I don't know if your clients are there yet, but it, it feels like the, the next movement in communities is this everyone has some kind of ownership. 
Yeah, well, I, I, I do agree. Um, and that might surprise you, um, uh, given my previous <laughs> sort of take on some of this space. But, you know, here's what, I, here's, here's what I mean by that. And I have been paying a lot of attention. I've been really, really studying into, you know, the, what do you call it, the metaverse, or you call it Web 3.0, or you call it the crypto yeah. movement, or, you know, creator. You know, there's all, you know, it's all jumbled at the moment. But basically, it's, you know, this... I think you're. I think you nailed it when you said it's about the audience now expecting some level of ownership, um, and you're living this right now, right? Where you know you're acquiring an audience for your company, and there's you know you have set an expectation, and now there is an expectation set that there is a level of ownership that comes with this, um, and and for you it's Tiltcoin, and and so for others it's you know others, and there are influencers doing this, and there are small businesses doing this and there are what it what it strikes me as is ultimately if you sort of play this out you you can start to see something that happens in just about any economy like this which is there there at some point you start to see consolidation and so what i would see is i think this is exactly right but at some point there there becomes you know the call it the you know the cream rising to the top or the wheat and you know whatever metaphor you like but basically there becomes a you know 90 10 80 20 you know where there is a small number of players in this space and everybody else you know you know f- for example in the early days of cable television when you started building an audience you know and i can remember back in the late 80s um, you know, and early '90s when I was in cable TV, and it was the Wild West, and there were you know there were hundreds of distributors across. You know, your cable company might be Bob's Cable Company, you know, and and sure. serves you know a small neighborhood, and you were an audience, and you paid Bob's Cable Company. And by the way, when you paid Bob's Cable Company, you had access to hundreds, hundreds of channels. You know. You had Showtime and HBO and the Movie Channel and Cinemax and you had other, you know, ESPN and CNN. I mean, you had all these things. And two things happened, right? As the uh, consolidation started to happen in the in the distribution space, which you started to see companies like, you know, Comcast and Charter and, and all of those. And now there's literally like three, you know, where there used to be hundreds at the neighborhood level. Well, now there's like three. And the same thing started to handle at the content business as well, where you started to see aggregation there too, where bundles started to become the case and where acquisitions started to become the case. And you started to see the large Viacoms of the world and all of those companies start to make acquisitions and bundle all these channels together. So cable stopped being cable anymore, right? It started becoming these small little walled gardens of you can only get your service from X company and you can only get loyalty you know, to content through these small companies. And though, and even those companies now are starting to become one and the same, the Verizons of the world and the AT&Ts of the world, et cetera. I, re, I preface all of that by saying I can see a similar thing happening here where over time you start to see consolidation in two places. One is places like you where you go out and make a deal with Jay Bear and you go make a deal with other companies and you make a deal with this other company and now instead of Tiltcoin, everything goes into something else coin, right? And and if you're an audience in any one of those three, you're bundled together, but you have more spending power and theoretically you have more quote unquote ownership of that, you know, of that network. 
and that will start to happen. The other side of consolidation is, of course, the bigger companies who are going to start issuing this stuff as well. And I'm just starting to hear a little bit about it from clients that are thinking about loyalty programs and those kinds of things with issuing coin and and those, you know, loyalty points as coins and, and, and that sort of thing. That's not ownership. That's just you know, creating a loyalty economy like they've, you know, and so instead of calling it American Airlines points, you now call it American That's right. Point yeah, that, I agree is, with right? that. There's no difference there. And so there you've got two separate things there, right? One is actually giving you control and theoretical ownership, which I think does change the economy somewhat. Um, because now, you know, you've got two kinds of ownership, right? You've got one where the community owns the company, but there's not shares involved. You know, there's not, you know, you're just, you're, you're making decisions about based on a financial economy an economic system called whatever coin in you know rally is starting to do this now right the rally platform is is starting to to build this entire sort of conglomerated com- community where rally coin holders will have some influence on what tiltcoin does at some point and i just think it's an interesting experiment it's going to be very, very interesting to watch and see how it happens. The, the, the one thing I do know is that people will make a lot of money on this. There will be, there will be money to be made. Well, there's all, yes, there, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's for sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that this idea of the DAO or the decentralized autonomous organization, and this is where yeah. I'm like listening to a lot of podcasts. It's a podcast called prosper out there that i've been listening to and a few other ones where if you're going to start a decentralized organization it generally starts as a begins as a dictatorship and slowly blends over time you don't generally start and say oh it's 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 wild wild west how are we going to do governance how are we going to figure this whole thing it generally started by one two or a small group of people and then over time is let's say they're using tokens to spread out the equity that happens over a many, it will happen over a many year process. But that's if right. there's going to be, that's, that's where I think that your idea of consolidation is, is right. I think that things will be like the Green Bay Packers. It's going to be a lot of cooperatives that are, that are out there where you'll say, oh, there's, there's, there's 14 of us creators. We focus on the same group of audience. What if we all came together as one and what kind of buy, let's say buying power in, in essence, or influence could we have in bringing all this together? I think that's absolutely happening right now. Instead of, instead of somebody yeah. saying, I'm going to build you- an audience, they're going to say, which DAO am I going to be a part of? Which community am I going to be a part of that I can do some work, get some equity stake? And it is now, you know, I wouldn't have said this a year ago, Robert, but now I would say that is a that is a viable option for a content creator to go into and generate revenue. Absolutely. Yeah. It's going, It's you're ostensibly going public without going public, yeah. right? And 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 the interesting thing to me to follow here is that it you know it's one of those things where it works until it doesn't, um, and what I mean by that is you know it'll be fascinating to me to see how these companies that you know quote unquote go public without going public by issuing a coin or issuing a you know that sort of thing, and and what happens when you get an activist investor right when you get somebody who comes in and literally buys their way into a majority, you know, uh, foothold, or quite frankly, buys the entire set, you know, buys the entire, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
collection of coin and then says, is the company now ostensibly mine? Well, right. It's not really because all they do is control the finance of the company. They control a, you know, and, and, and this is where connection to real money starts to become a very interesting thing to me, which is, you know, you can bridge out to, you know, whether it's Ethereum or you can bridge out to, you know, other kinds of, of, of you know, real dollars or whatever, you know, ultimately all the way out to, you know, real fiat. But the, the, the fascinating thing will be how, how do companies like start to structure themselves to protect themselves from that kind of thing? I, you know, because I read these companies that are starting to do this decentralization and it's like, yes, it's all wonderful and kumbaya and great. Let the community do things until it's until until you get somebody who's got ill intentions. Right. Maybe a competitor, uh, maybe maybe someone who wants to take you out of the marketplace and they start influencing bad decisions. It's it's there. There is another yes, side of the coin. There's here. definitely there's positives <laughs> yeah. and negatives for sure. But just yeah. to, just the one sure. I want to know we want to get onto other stuff. But the one thing that yeah, I would yeah. say for on sure. the somebody an activist investor coming in that's already an issue and where a lot of dollars yeah. are doing right now is instead of one coin one vote, which is how they most of them have started, they're evolving to a sliding right. scale. So if you get let's say ten thousand coins, you only get twenty votes. You don't get twenty thousand votes, or whatever the case is. So it's a sliding scale. You get uh, one coin, one vote. You have five coins, maybe two votes. Ten coins, three. That kind of thing, where you can't go right. in and buy. Yeah, it's, no, it's it, yeah, no, it's it's yeah, right. It doesn't it, it doesn't it doesn't scale as your as your as your number of things. But ultimately, that's a deflationary. I mean, not to get into economic theory here, but that's a deflationary sort of idea, right? In terms of once you start getting into the idea that my buying a certain amount of coin or getting a certain amount of coin isn't as valuable because the value in a community-driven business like that is the influence, is the ability to spend my coin for things. And, you know, so control is one of those things. So it, it's just going to be fascinating to watch. It's, it yeah, really this is. movement to the group the, the these group consensus and thing it's it's just, it literally and i guess just to wrap this up i yeah i i've you and i have read a lot of books we've read a lot of articles we've learned about we've been to shows we've been learning about all this stuff for you know 20 plus years i'm having trouble keeping up with it right now with it with oh, how it's fast so hard. It's how so fast hard. this yeah. is moving and i've just never i've never been a part of something that you know, it was much easier in 2007 when you had blogs, yeah. <laughs> Facebook was just coming yeah. online. Now you've got this whole decentralization thing and, and you've got 50 million content well, creators a, and complete democratization of nearly everything. It, yeah, I, I think it's I, you're so, you're so right here because and I the way it makes me feel is a little bit like I felt in 1997, 1998 when you know, when every week it seemed like there was a new web browser, there was a new format, there was a new way to stream audio and then stream video. I mean, I remember downloading real networks, you know, for the first time in, in the late 90s and going, this is, you know, and looking at the real TV, right, you know, where you would watch your little, you know, you'd watch some live streamed video in a little tiny box on your, you know, PC 
and and just going to my saying to myself this is you know i was working for a cable network at the time and i was watching you know something i downloaded off the internet and now was streaming live television and i was thinking to myself this is going to change everything and trying to keep up with all of that at that time was really just overwhelming um and trying to go home every night and learn more and more and more about it and it was just so and it feels like very much like that right now with all everything else there's just so much going on it's just and i know i feel i personally feel late to the game i know i'm not yeah i know that i'm probably overall very very early in this i mean you and i i mean i you know that i was starting to sniff around crypto in 2016 and i got sort of involved in 2017 and then went all in um and and most i know i'm not going to speak for you but most of the people that i know you know they've never they're not in crypto at all they're confused about it they don't think it's it's funny money or whatever the case is they don't but but we are at an inflection point exactly what you talked about in the late 90s but on a 10 times 100 times scale that's right. Yep. So, Agreed. but anyways, if you feel overwhelmed, Agreed. folks, uh, yeah, don't, don't because everyone, because, um, <laughs> because everybody is, or or feel like you're We're in all good learning. company. One We're of those two together. things. Yeah. We'll be right back. Starting a business can be overwhelming, and a great way to make it simple is to go step by step. The Dot Online Business Academy offers simple, easy to follow and completely free courses to help you find a business idea, create a business plan, build a website, and more. The short videos, bonus activities, and resources give you everything you need to take your business up and running. Hosted by industry experts such as Ryan Folan, Jason Falls, and Kim Garst, these courses also come with interesting activities and exciting prizes. For more information, visit academy.get.online. That's academy.get.online. And now back to the show. So we'll go next to something interesting, uh, which is two stories that we'll pair together here on audio. Um, which uh, two, I guess, announcements or, or you know, one announcement certainly in one, um, um, you know, one uh, observation. I guess it is. The first is from DigitalMusicNews.com. Fascinating story here, not unexpected. I think um, would love to get your take on this, Joe. The headline is Spotify begins removing exclusive podcast episodes from other platforms. Now we talked about Spotify last week, and of course they're opening up of the monetization of subscriptions. Uh, and by the way, mea oh culpa, my God. mea culpa, mea culpa. <laughs> We're sorry. You we know, missed. We got a lot of notes. Yes, we're sorry. We missed the Apple thing. Yes, we missed the Apple. You better go into a little bit of detail there that because they subscription. We, you know, people don't know what we're well, talking about. Well, we, we were we were chiding Apple a little bit for not going into the Apple subscriptions thing and, and, um, and, and not having a similar type of solution that Spotify was talking about here. And of course they do. They have Apple subscriptions. It is a little different. In our defense, I guess it's still a mea culpa. We 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 missed it, but the 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 difference between the two is that Spotify is basically creating the platform through Anchor, which is the ability to really publish just about anywhere you'd like, and then monetize through subscription based through your Anchor. You know, create a subscription based podcast, and you get access to your people. You get access to your audience. You can export your email lists and and do all those things. So it is truly a service. Apple, on the other hand, is very Apple-like in the way that they're doing things. And you can create a subscription-based podcast, not dissimilar from how you might create an app on the App Store, 
but you don't have access to the app, your email subscribers, you don't have, you're basically, you're creating an Apple specific idea. So if you wanna go all in with Apple, that's the way you can do it. So there is some differences there, but indeed they yeah. do have a service and have for some time. All right, so having said that, Spotify here, begins removing some exclusive podcast episodes from other platforms, digitalmusicnews.com, giving us courtesy of the link. Uh, and the headline is, Spotify is removing podcast episodes from rival services that its studios have produced. Uh, the opens up with a quote saying, we want to acknowledge that some have pointed out to us that their favorite Spotify-produced podcasts have disappeared from their usual podcast feeds, said Spotify in an announcement. To enhance our discovery and editorial prowess in the last few months, We've, uh, I think it's a typo. I think they mean to say browned out some of the uh, shows exclusively to Spotify, but it says we've browned out, we've yeah. browned some. I don't know, like the hash browns or something. <laughs> anyway, some, some of the podcasts affected by this change include Serial Killers, Horoscope Today, Mother Hacker, and How to Save a Planet, four of my favorite podcasts. Um, those shows <laughs> will only appear on the Spotify pat platform instead of others like Apple or Stitcher. Uh, the shows are still available to listen to free, but you have to do so using the Spotify app. The article goes on to sort of further explain how this is working um, and basically say what I think is completely and highly unsurprising to me that Spotify is starting to build their own ecosystem here and basically saying, hey, listen, you know, we're going to, and I think it's a genius move, honestly. You launch a show. You launch it on all the platforms to let it up. You get everybody, you get your audience and then go, guess what? You want to continue to listen? You got to come over and subscribe to, you know, through Spotify. So tell me if I'm wrong here, Joe, but I see this as basically them starting to exercise the muscle of saying, hey, listen, if you're all going to remain free and open, we're just going to use you as a marketing platform to promote and then basically pull it back and, and build our audience that way. I, yes. The one thing that I would do different, Spotify is well within their right to create this juggernaut that they've created, and they've done a fantastic job. I'd like to see them do what Sam Harris has done, where Sam Harris and his podcast, um, he has a like a, a two hour podcast and he puts like 45 minutes of that on all the distribution networks and says hey if you want the whole thing you can subscribe i would i i don't think that instead of removing them if i was spotify i'd play the first 20 minutes of every one of them i used to listen <laughs> for whatever you think about joe rogan if joe rogan had a good guest on i used to listen but I stopped getting updates for Joe Rogan, and I'm not a Spotify regular user. And I have not, since he went to Spotify, I haven't listened to one episode. Now, if I would get an update and I would keep getting them on my uh, over, I use Overcast as my app. If, if I would have gotten a, hey, he's got, uh, you know, whoever on uh, Will Ferrell, I don't know, whatever, Tina Fey. And I thought, oh, I want to listen to that. I'd go over to Spotify and listen, and maybe they'd hook me in. That's what I would do differently. But, but technologically, that seems like, I mean, you know, technical people can correct me if I'm wrong here, but technologically, that seems like child's play. In other words, the only thing that would need to be done is to literally add a checkbox to your publishing uh, on, on the Spotify platform. Like when you're, when you're making a podcast on the Spotify platform, the Anchor platform, yeah. for example, um, is to simply check a box that says, 
should this go to your other channels? Yeah. Like, you know, in other words, here it is, right? Publish this episode to, you know, to Apple, to, you know, to, you know, to uh, uh, Stitcher, to, you know, YouTube, you know, wherever you're going to publish it to, given their tools. And then for the subscription ones only, you basically go, nope, I'm not going to, you know, you uncheck all those boxes and you publish it only to Spotify. I mean, that seems like, that's a feature that if it isn't there already should is it will be i have to think imminently coming i would yeah i right? don't know why they don't do it this is what boggles my mind like what they we what did we cover um, a couple weeks ago or i don't know when the article came out about joe rogan losing influence and we were like all poo pooed that whole thing and he still had pl- plenty of influence regardless of what was in the news over the last week but wouldn't that have been make way more sense and say, oh, okay, he's got an audience of you know X amount of million coming through iTunes. Why cut that off? What you just say? I'm yeah. stopping when literally you could check a box and say because I could see it going into thirty minutes or forty five minutes and say, hey, thanks for listening to the show. Uh, if you'd like to hear the rest of it, go over to Spotify. And what you, what you do the next time is probably just open up Spotify. So, yeah, of course. I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it this 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 particular move by removing these into a you know a a their own to uh, their own little walled garden, I think is a statement, right? I think that's Spotify making a statement saying, listen, you know, we're all about the exclusive content now, right? And so, you know, they're basically they're 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 trying to flex a little bit and say, you know what? We're going subscription only for these, you know, the, the for these particular ones. They're still free, but you got You got to come over to Spotify. And to me, what that is is a signal to other podcasts out there, us, you know, others, you know, others that would be out there that are, you know, sort of in that. You know, we talked. You and I talked. Um, I can't remember. Maybe last year when we talked to sort of the the strata of podcast, right? You know, you sort of have your Joe Rogans, which is a very thin layer, not, you know, not to put too fine a point on it. It's just like my analogy of the cable networks earlier. You know, you've got sort of the strata of the Joe Rogans of the world, uh, serial and, you know, and those that are sort of like, you know, podcast, you know, with a capital P. And then there's sort of a, a another thin layer underneath that, which are really popular, but pretty niche. And then you've got this wide, wide, wide band of like, semi-successful okay they're a little successful we're probably in in the middle range of that and then you've got this giant behemoth of podcasts that are like that have you know 40 subscribers you know for you know 20 listens right and and it's how do you start you know that long tail that long tail of 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 those you know as that start you know what Spotify has to start to do is not, they don't have to come all the way down. They only need to come a little bit down. And so it's a signal, you know, this moving to a subscription-based idea and, and an exclusive-based idea is basically them saying, not to the Joe Rogans of the world, those, those decisions are happening at a much, you know, more personal one-on-one level. It's reaching out to that sort of secondary tier and saying, hey, listen, man, there's better, you know, there's better days for you from a money-making standpoint over here. And and this is a flex in that direction. And I think that's a, you know, I think that's just a it's a it's a brilliant marketing move. It is it's just a good marketing move. I 
but I think all these big platforms have to keep in mind that it's at some at some point a lot a lot of these creators are are not going to need them. That's what I'm hoping. Yeah. That gets that's my hope. I don't know if that's going to happen. I would yeah. like to to think yeah. that you could say, well, hey, can I? You know, I'd love to see them actively recruit more. <laughs> say, well, we really yeah. need you creators. Um, and some of this fighting over how much billions are thrown at creators, maybe that's part of it. But but for the most yeah. part, I don't know if they care. I think they're just looking at their bottom line. But you know, I'm a little cynical. But well, whatever. On that, yeah. Well, no, I mean, on, on that exact topic, the, the story that will pair with this comes from Axios, and it's basically about Amazon and the, you know, the Axios, which claims that they have a scoop here, um, basically says Amazon is quietly building a live audio business. And the article says Amazon is investing heavily in a new live audio feature that's similar to other live audio offerings like Clubhouse, Twitter Spaces, Spotify, um, and all of that. And they say, as with Amazon's effort in podcasting and music subscriptions, the company sees live audio as a way to bolster the types of content it can offer through its voice assistant Alexa and other smart speaker products. Um, my apologies to all of those you out there who have a Amazon device that just woke up when I said the word. Um, yeah. So what, what do you... What what are your thoughts about Amazon here about um, and their their you know is this a legitimate option for 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 you know those that you're talking about that are looking for other other ways I to do, do this? <laughs> First of all, with, let's look at Amazon. Amazon, whenever they get into anything, you better take it seriously because they have more resources right. than anyone That's on the right. planet. They they exactly. could. Re- I don't. I don't know. This sound is going to sound weird, but they could revolutionize radio. With I could see you getting into your car. You've got the Alexa device. You you don't need to go to a station, or you don't have to go to Sirius. You don't have to go to whatever. You just say whatever you want, and they're going to pump whatever you want through your request, or they're going to know you perfectly. They're going to play exactly what you want because they're tapped into your brain. I mean, this stuff is is happening very quickly. I don't know what's in it for the creator with this because Amazon does not have a good track record for the end user. I mean, out, uh, outside of, let's say, employee practices and whatnot. So there, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know if you have a take on it where it's going. All I would say is if I'm Spotify and Apple, you know, who are, who is your biggest threat? It's Amazon. There's no doubt about it. It's Amazon because they've got the hardware, too. Yeah. And they've got the distribution to the customer. And they've got the yes. data. I think that's... I mean... Yep. They, they have it all, right? They have it all. And I think the the key in that is that they have the device, right? Which is, you know, if you can be in your kitchen making dinner and then just say to your Amazon device to, you know, open up whatever they're going to call it, like, you know, literally open up Clubhouse and hear what's available based on your preferences and go, oh yeah, go into this room. And while you're making dinner, you're having a conversation with friends or you're have you're learning about some, you know, crypto thing, or, you know, you're in a clubhouse room and sort of listening. I mean, they don't even really, you know, the technology of that can be put into any smart speaker or any, you know, any, any sort of device, you know, your laptop, your phone, whatever it is, all of that. It's the, it's that powered by voice and saying, hey, listen, I want, you know, I'm in my car, right? And I have Amazon technology built into my car radio. Now, all of a sudden, I just say, hey, listen, I'm in a traffic jam. I'm going to go participate in this live, you know, clubhouse kind of thing. Well, that's, I mean, just, uh, I think people underestimate, everyone went to video, right? For the last 10 years, everybody said video, yeah. video, video, and slowly audio. 
and why we've talked about it forever. It is the only uh, medium where you can multitask. You can you can run, you can yeah, go to work, right. you can do whatever, right. and you've got this you know audio experience that you can have, and that's the power, and that's why it's going to continue to grow. and And I think Amazon is, has not underestimated that because they've laid the groundwork for the last few years with the device. So there you go. Yeah, yeah. Exactly right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is now time for our rants and raves section of the show. And this, of course, is where Joe and I go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that makes us feel like Cam Newton or makes us feel like uh, maybe Bill Belichick um, at the moment. Who wants to feel feel like Bill Belichick? He doesn't feel anything that we know about. I think he's a happy guy. I think he's just... Yeah, I, I mean, how can you not be happy given the success? Yeah, former Cleveland Browns coach. Who knew? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Just yep. a genius. Just an absolute genius. Um, uh, shall I go first? Do you want to go first? What do you want to do here? Um, I have a I have a very yeah. Do your do your update quick update, and then I'll do my quick update, and we'll we'll get the heck out of All town. Right. Well, I have a quick update, and I have a a, a rant. I guess it is a, another sort of it's a ranty rant, another ranty rant, um, and it doesn't have anything to do with the news. Um, but just very quickly, I wanted to just point everybody to uh, you. Actually, sent this over to me, and it was really great um, from the Marketing Brew, um, which is the Morning Brew brand or sub-brand, I should say. And basically, the article that we'll link to in the show notes is basically, if you listen to last week's show, folks, you heard about me ranting around how the CMO job is, yes, it's lower tenure, but maybe that's a good thing. Um, And I just wanted to point this article out because it just sort of was a nice sort of follow-up to what I just uh, talked about. Neither supporting nor contrasting, but just sort of a nice other data point to to get uh, to get to know this the article says CMOs were moving and shaking last week you've got Kate Roush who's leaving Facebook to go become Coinbase's CMO you've got uh, the women's co-working space the wing has hired Jen Cho as its leading marketer uh, Carrie Sullivan who's been marketing Neutrogena since before the brand's Hayden Panettiere uh, commercial days well she's now CMO of Dollar Shave Club uh, Petco's Tariq Hassan is now en route uh, for McDonald's to be the CMO there. Remember, we talked about last year that McDonald's was going to kill the CMO title. Then they brought it back. Then they killed it again. Now they brought it back again. Um, American Sports Balls, uh, the new MLB's CMO is Corinne Timpone, uh, or Timpany, maybe. I'm not sure about that, but from Marriott. So yada, yada, yada. Basically, CMOs are moving around very, very quickly. Even the ANA is putting up um, a uh, a little bit of a you know a, a note saying hey listen this is a you know there's a lot of movement going on here yes of course it is and yes it will continue and yes I still believe it's a good thing good. all right quick uh, uh, my rant so this has nothing to do with the news it just has everything to do with where I am in my headspace these days so something I've been noticing um, of late is a thing that I am calling the thumbnail executive. And I don't know if you've seen this, Joe. Um, You've you've been a little removed from talking to big, global, siloed matrix companies um, over the last 18 months because you've been building your own global siloed matrix (laughs) company. Um, And so I've noticed this really annoying trend. And it may or may not have something to do with the previous government administration. I am not making a political statement here. I'm simply making an observation, which is in today's work, that, and I've just seen it so many times over the last 18 months, 
So you've got a company's executive. Let's say it's the CMO, the CEO, the COO, really any senior VP of blah, 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 whoever it is. And they've got to review some new innovative plan or they got to weigh in on some important decision, some new program, some new initiative thing. And of course, their schedule is very protected, right? They've got people that protect it. Time is precious. Don't waste any of their time. And But that's not the annoying part to me. That's not the part I want to rant about. So to protect the sanctity of this executive's time, there's this notion that has started to emerge that any new plan, any new proposal, any new research, any new information, any new data that you're going to present to this executive has to be watered down to the point where it can literally, and I literally got this as an instruction, not of late, as if you were going to explain it to a five-year-old. And so believe it or not, that's not the annoying part either. The annoying part to me, the rant part of what I want to talk about is increasingly this oversimplification, this watering down of complex topics into something that I can explain to a five-year-old is somehow seen as some sort of heroic virtue, right? Like it's today's executive, some entirely new species of person, and they've got this special gift that they can't be expected to listen or handle anything that resembles any sort of complexity. And sometimes it's the team that puts that on the executive, and sometimes it's the executive that puts it on themselves. So I'm not casting, you know, uh, you know, to, it, not all the blame belongs to the executives here, but some of it absolutely does. And and now, and now what I don't mean is that this isn't brevity or efficiency, right? I, you know, the whole Amazon, you know, you got it, you can't use PowerPoint, you've got to use a memo, the two pizza meeting rule that Amazon put in, the Google has this thing called the buck stops here where there has to be a decision maker in the room for every meeting that requires a decision. Get it, got it, brevity, efficiency, absolutely, it's our job as proposers of ideas to be able to do that efficiently and quickly. My frustration with all of this is this aura of the virtue that's being placed around simplification where we have to d- deliver complex theories, complex ideas, complex marketing plans, complex strategies in a coloring book because for some reason the executive's time is so precious that they can't really be bothered with anything more complex. I literally had someone, a, com- a complaint of a VP of marketing who struggling to get their content strategy submitted to the CMO for approval. And every time she would approve, send it to there and get some time on the CMO's calendar, basically she was asked to go back and simplify it, simplify it. I can't, I can't, you know, I can't be bothered with it. I can't simplify it. She finally got it down to literally one slide with three bullets on it that says, one, content team needs reallocation of resources. Two, content technology is needs a new sponsor because it's not going well. Three, better measurement is coming. And then the CMO, what was the result, basically said, I don't have enough details about the money part. It's like, you just make you want to tear your hair out. And so 100% of these presentations where you have to simplify things down to coloring book level for executives go badly. Why? Because the executive either goes, I'm missing details here and I need to be able to weigh the complexity of this. In other words, their team has overestimated the need for simplification or because the executive, quite frankly, just can't take the time to go understand even the most basic of fundamentals of some complex issue that you're going to produce. Now, again, I don't mean to say that all executives have to have some in-depth understanding of every kind of sophisticated business process or concept. 
today's business is way too complex for that. It's way too complex. But this is why you have direct reports who can understand this, specialists who can understand it. What, I'm going to borrow a phrase from my friend Peter Griffin from Family Guy, what grinds my gears is this indifference to complexity, this indifference that, we, that some executives have to this as a virtue, that this, you know, that this need for coloring books uh, level kinds of you know uh, imagery and and the ability to explain complex concepts has to be simplified to that level, and I believe that it's incumbent not just on us as managers, not just us as proposers of ideas to s- explain things in as simple and easy to understand and efficient way as possible, but I believe it's incumbent on leaders and executives in organizations to want to understand those concepts even if it requires more than some thumbnail sketch of what the concept is. In post-production, I'll have to put music behind that. So they're really, really, we're, we're going <laughs> here. I'm going to, I'm going to end it on a light. It's great points, by the way, I'm going to end it. Uh, yeah. It makes me think that I'm glad I'm not so involved in some of that stuff anymore, but uh, just a, a wonderful rave. It's worth the six minute watch on the Savannah bananas minor league baseball franchise it just came out on um sports center featured and it's the story of uh jesse cole who was a you know promising pitcher and you know threw his arm out and then realized he had a future organizing baseball a couple things happened he became the owner of the savannah bananas in savannah georgia and they do everything different and they went from not getting any fans, like 100 per, to selling out their 4,000-person stadium every time they have a game. They just do everything different. And the six minutes is worth it because he talks about how you have to think differently than everyone else, kind of like what we talk about with the content tilt and looking at your content differentiation. So I'm going to put in the show notes, but it's on the Savannah Bananas. It's Jesse Cole, and I highly recommend it. And if you want to feel good for six oh. minutes, it's a great, great story. So. Oh, fantastic! Well, then I'm going to also recommend, and I'll, I'll we'll put this link in the show notes as well, uh, to the Battered Bastards of Baseball. That's right, we talked a, about another that great one. documentary. Yeah. yeah, which is a fantastic documentary, also about a minor league team. Uh, I won't spoil it any more than that, but just a fantastic, wonderful, heartwarming story of about a minor league baseball team. So if you're into baseball, those two things will just be fantastic for you. Perfect. Uh, what do you got going on uh, this yeah. weekend? I am. Oddly, you know, on on the cusp of a long weekend, I am oddly uh, open. Um, I'm not having to work this weekend, so I'm actually going to try and get outside and get some sunshine, a little vitamin D, maybe go to the beach, have some food. You know, I'm 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 oddly going to have a relaxing weekend. I'm going to second that you? relaxing weekend. Uh, we have a lot of things on the yeah. itinerary. Seen a lot of different family members, and I think there's a few outdoor parties, but. Uh, um, hopefully some some downtime as well, and uh, some. I'm going to stop reading articles on Web three over the weekend. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> That's yeah. It. yeah, me too. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> exactly, exactly right. Well, that is it, uh, I guess, for us, which is, you know, we're signing off. And if you want to get all the goodness, by the way, of this podcast show notes and all those links, by the way, to the fantastic stories, the documentaries, all that stuff that we talked about, or any of the other 286 episodes, just head on over, won't you, to our wonderful little website, thisoldmarketing.site, 
we want to thank the really good folks at Radix for powering our .site domain. Um, this old marketing .site is powered by Radix, and if you want your own .site domain, get over to Radix and get your own .site domain, because that'll help you get the domain that you want. Until we meet again, folks, just remember, it's your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.